This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. And I'm delighted to say, for a very special episode, we're joined by none other than Andrew Detmer from the Main Road Ramble. Um, Andrew, welcome back. It's been a while, but it's great to have you with us. It has been too long, boys, although we, we chat frequently, so it's not uh, like I haven't chatted yeah. with you. But it's it's nice to be on, and it's good to see your your fake background, Amos. Yeah, yeah, my my, my grass on the wall. Yeah, that the the, uh, the speedy grow went the wrong way. Um, right, okay, as you may have guessed from the uh, from the title. Today we are going to be speaking about something a little bit different. No football or no club football this weekend. Definitely football. I've just sat through 90 minutes of England versus Italy, which was a, a chore. Um, but it could not be any about... worse than uh, US versus Japan was a chore for It Wasn't that over breakfast? Wasn't that a, like... I mean, Adam, I don't even think you were awake was, for that. Buddy. It was 5.30 for me. I did not get up for it, no. It, it was. I was looking <laughs> at my fun. phone and I saw Twitter and it was like, the lineup has dropped and it was like 45 minutes ago and I was confused because i was like is there a game i didn't know about and then i was like yeah, no no it's the yeah. japan game that i assumed was at a normal time on a friday evening and not <laughs> eight twenty six a.m eastern when everyone wants to watch soccer on a friday yeah yeah it, it must have been the only sort of two hour period that both japanese and american audiences could have watched it because that seemed that seems nonsensical but to know. move it on to a nice segue it could work well for today's podcast because we are speaking about the future of football, American influence and otherwise. Um, we've got a lot to chat about, so we will get into things. Um, 
it feels like we've got quite a nice balance here with uh, obviously me being a, an English supporter, with Adam being a, a wannabe English but American supporter, and, and Andrew being a nailing his colours on the chest. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know that I like this on... description, but fine. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, there's a also, nice I, I'm going to take some umbrage here and say that I'm not a wannabe English supporter. I'm a wannabe anything but American. <laughs> Great start, great start. But yeah, the gloves are well and truly off for today's episode, you'll be glad to know. Um, We'll kick it off then with everybody's favourite American in the Premier League, and it's not Christian Pulisic, despite that haircut. It's obviously uh, Todd Bowley, because he's, he's made quite the splash since he arrived in English football. Let's rewind a couple of weeks then. When uh, when Todd Bowley introduced, or, or if you look deep enough and, and you're of a historical boffin, reintroduced the idea of an all-star match for English football. Let me remind you of his comments very quickly. Um, why don't we... I was going to do an American accent then, but I, I've, I'll offend too many people. I've already offended, so uh, uh, that possibly is where the line was drawn. But why don't we do a tournament with the bottom four teams? Why isn't there an all-star game? Now, there's not a lot of detail in those comments. I'm sure you remember them. There's been a lot said about it, but straight off the bat, Adam, yes or no? Um, no to both. But I, I just want to say, before we really dive deeper into this, it's worth mentioning that these comments were really blown out of proportion because these were like really just comments he almost made in passing. Like he wasn't, he didn't sit down and say. We are bringing an all-star game to the right. Premier League. This is when it will happen. It was like, you know, why don't we think about doing this? This has worked for us over here. Maybe it works over there. And and it was um, almost as if all of his comments were preceded by the phrase, um, it might be cool if, and that, and that was it. And then the headlines went, new Chelsea owner says, Premier League all-star game will start tomorrow. All of your players are blowing their ACLs in the middle of the season. The world, the sky is falling. That That is how blown out of proportion this this got um but as far as the the promotion playoff or the relegation playoff goes that's not necessarily a foreign idea it's foreign to english but that yeah, happens in yeah. many leagues around europe um so that wouldn't be insane but do i like that setup no it's a good job I didn't say yes or no answer like uh, yes or no um but yeah you, you spot on um well, we will delve deeper into it then. Adam sort of started off by saying he's he's vehemently anti-American, but is, is at the first opportunity defended the nice, lovely, cuddly American owner. Same question to you then, Andrew. An all-star game. Um, where do you where do you stand on it at the moment? So, what I will say is it's odd that people, and I think Bowley did it himself. He tried to talk about the MLB All-Star Game as like the example of how to do it well when that's actually probably the worst All-Star game. Um, the only good part of the MLB All-Star game is the home, home run derby. Um, Which is, so for those, those oh, who, for those who don't watch baseball, so essentially the, yeah. the best people at hitting the ball literally out of the park basically right, okay. show up, and then you compete to see who can hit as many home runs kind of as possible, and it narrows down to the final mm. two. And home runs are, in my opinion, the most exciting thing in baseball, so like I enjoy watching it. Um, but what I will say is that I think there are ways you could do a Premier League All-Star game to where it could actually be okay. But it's not like what MLB does. It's not about, hey, North versus South or anything. It would be about embracing 
Premier League player like personalities and brands. And it really would right. be about kind of like breaking down these club divisions and these like regional divisions that exist and like not even thinking about those. But like the proposal I heard that would be cool is say like the fans get to pick the top two players for that year. And so like, let's say mm. in a given year, like let's say it was Mo Salah and Kevin De Bruyne. And then they just get like, they get to pick someone, but they can't pick someone from their own team. Then okay. that next player gets to pick somebody else for the team. And basically you just like slowly build this team of like who the other players like think would be cool to play with. And it's not about yeah. like some, like these are the best players in the Premier league, or this is the best, like this is a way to showcase all the best talent. Like, it's about, hey, let's find a way to like let the players like do something kind of like fun and cool from their perspective, and then we'll get to watch it. But like the idea that, oh, this is leaving hundreds of millions of pounds on the table, like that's crazy. I don't think it's gonna fund the rest of the pyramid if you do it. And like also the idea that the Premier League, which, you know, those owners have never once in their life kept money that should have been going to like down <laughs> the way. Like they never, you know, yeah, hold on to percentages. So they're definitely just going to turn over all this money that their assets are generating. Like that's all crazy. Right. But the idea yeah. that there isn't a way to do something. And even if it's not, you do an all-star game, but like I, we've chatted about before in our group chat about how like around the charity shield, do like a skills challenge for the, some of the players that like aren't involved with the charity shield and let fans come watch it for free. And like, let kids see their favorite footballers do techers and like crossbar challenges mm. and, like that could be fun and cool and fan engagement. So do I think that idea broadly is insane? No, I think what has been proposed then like Adam mentioned the way that the reporting just went, he's saying this is what we're going to do, even though it was an offhand comment about like different ideas that could be brought. I think it's some of the other stuff that he's talked about that I'm surprised has not attracted more attention. Um, mm compared to these two things. But I think that these two things that he mentioned, the reason everyone gravitated to it is because they were like, oh, you silly American, you clearly don't understand the sport of football. And so we can beat you with that rather than this guy is a businessman and he understands the business side of it. And so that's what is the more concerning thing because there's aspects that I think fans probably generally will dislike, but from a business side actually makes sense for the Premier League to do and a club like Chelsea to do, but that wasn't what led the coverage because that requires, you know, detailed analysis and thoughts by the reporting rather than they can mm. just post a screenshot of Todd Bowley looking silly and say like Todd Bowley wants to bring an all-star game. Are you suggesting That's, that Graham Souness doesn't have the capability for nuanced thought? Is that is that what you've uh, you've de deciphered from that? I don't think Graham Souness has the uh, nuance to complete Wordle successfully one day in a row, <laughs> let alone you know have competent discussion about the sport of football. <laughs> Adam, you're going to jump in. That's that's spot on though. What Andrew said about how it's funny because they kind of they being the general media took away kind of the simplest things that he said in that that conference that he was speaking at, Bowley, um, when there was much worse things that he spoke about there. Like he blatantly explained how he's going to devise a plan for Chelsea through a multi-club conglomerate like City Football Group are going to are going to blatantly cheat Brexit laws and homegrown rules. Things like that. Where he, he said, we're going to find a way to be de developing players that, um, and he used this phrase, we get out of South America, like as in 
saving these kids from the slums is the way that he almost yeah, phrased yeah. it, which wasn't great. Um, and how he was going to blatantly cheat homegrown rules and Brexit in order to make things like that happen. And none of that made headlines. When To me, that's what yeah. should be making headlines is – you know, American businessman is going to come and break all of the rules to make his team better. Like that, that's the headline right there. Yeah. Mm, um, yeah. but yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to like start my rants yet. I'm going to, I'm going to let you come back in Amos before well, I, well, yeah. I'm still sipping my coffee and like revving my <laughs> engine here before I put it into drive. Yeah, I feel this is this is on the way to being a very unhinged podcast, which for regular listeners um, wouldn't be any surprise at all on this feed. But let's let's rewind a bit and let's speak about the how how sort of theoretically an all star game may or may not work, and, and specifically that sort of the the, the appetite for it. Because for me, when when that word was mentioned. Um, First of all, I assumed it was an alien concept to English football. I have to shout out Dr. Gary James, who's obviously a city historian, pointed out quite a few times to a number of people that, no, you rewind far enough, this was something that was dubbed or even potentially played um, going back quite a number of decades. So it's not sort of new to English football, but it's certainly in the Premier League era, it is something new. The the issue for me sort of focuses around the appetite because... For me, straight away, the only way I see this being any form of success is if it's held abroad. And then you're opening, which we will do it very shortly, opening a brand new can of worms of, of who the Premier League belongs to and where it should be held. Because there is enough football as it is for English football fans, be, match, be that match going on or even international fans who watch it enough. There's enough football going on that to sort of to sort of keep people entertained to keep money flowing football does not have a revenue problem at least at the premier league there's enough money floating about football and we'll we'll again address the EFL issue very shortly but adam you've obviously grown up in the US i assume unless you you're telling a lie and you're doing a good accent but um you you've seen american sports you're obviously a, a, a sort of a, a passionate hockey fan i don't know if there's any sort of similar things there but within football within basketball i know there are these sort of these all-star style matches or events or whatnot how does it sort of explain to me as a dumb englishman how they work what happens who takes part who watches it who benefits is there any sort of backlash and and whether or not that would in in its simplest form be able to be transferred to english football well yes there is an all-star game in every league that I can think, every major sports league in the U.S. Um, for the NFL, it's called the Pro Bowl. And I, I actually disagree with what Andrew said about Major League Baseball having the worst, because I think the Pro Bowl is the worst, because they put yeah, it like one week fair. before the Super Bowl. It's played down in Hawaii. I couldn't even tell you if it's televised. It's, like, it's genuinely, not, it's not, there's no it's coverage. It's not played in Hawaii anymore. And they definitely, like oh, the NFL okay. has realized that it has not historically done well. And I think they've tried to find ways. And they've started to do like what MLS has done, where like, you have the players do things that aren't just play the game of football. Because also, okay. none of those dudes want to play at that point. Like, no one's like mm-hmm. wanting to put on pads and play a full game. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it is like there's nothing as American in sports as an all star game. Like, we love this concept right. in America, supposedly, right. I should say. And, and, and as far as how it works, so. Most of the time, like I said with the NFL, it's like a week before the Super Bowl. So most of the teams have stopped playing. But in the NBA, NHL, and I believe it's the same in Major League Baseball, they stop matches for about a week and a half and they have a weekend. Mm -hmm. So it'll be, you know, NHL All-Star Weekend. Every year, like the Champions League final, they select a location for it. Um, 
and all of the best players in the league, which are normally, depending on the league, tend to be voted on by fans. Um, Mm. They all congregate at this one city for the weekend and they have events. They have um, pretty casual games. Like in the NBA, the the NBA All-Star game, if an average team scores, you know, 105 points in a regular season NBA game. They score like 175 in the all-star game because there's no defense play. It's just like kind of messing around, doing trick shots yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Which which that that's actually an important point because one of the many arguments I've seen from particularly um, local English supporters about this all-star thing is like, what happens if, you know, our star striker blows their ACL in this game and they're out for the season. That doesn't happen because these players mm. aren't pushing their themselves physically in these games. It's totally like you're hanging out in your backyard having a kickabout, and it's just yeah. in a state in a full stadium, and it's you know absolute superstars doing it. But that's really what it is. So that that yeah. doesn't happen. I, you'd have to. Yeah, I, I can count on like one hand the amount of times a star missed a season because of something that happened in the all-star game it just doesn't happen so that right there is a point just a totally moot point because that doesn't happen um but yeah that's that's usually how it works Mm -hmm. but you bring up a a good point with the jam-packed schedule because there's no room to have a a premier league all-star weekend because they're already playing three games a a, a week at the moment so yeah yeah which which is the sort of I suppose for especially Jurgen Klopp, who spoke about it the day after in a press conference, this is the crux of the argument for it, isn't it? Regardless of whether you agree or disagree with the concept, one look at the schedule tells you that there's probably not enough place, uh, not not enough spaces in in the footballing calendar for it to work. I mean, going back to what you said about the sort of the the most American idea possible, and I, I kind of is, I have to say, but it's interesting. Super League rugby in in um, England, which is probably one of the most English sports imaginable. It, it, it's a very working class, traditionally northern sport. I mean, if you there's a motorway section in the north of England, which essentially has all the major teams sort of just scattered alongside it. It, it is proper, proper northern. Um, but they have a magic weekend, which is a sort of a similar sort of festival of of games. I, you know, I'm not I'm not entirely well versed on what it on what it happens, but you know, the, 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 this sort of stuff does exist in English sport cricket has a finals day for one of their tournaments where they play both the semi-finals and the final on the same day so it's not a case of it being a completely alien idea to English sport I just suppose when it comes to football it is so protected and the heritage is so looked after that's when you start encountering problems and and obviously with the schedule Andrew Jurgen Klopp said when Todd Bowley finds a place to play it give me a call it feels as though when you look at American sports you have these hefty periods in the off-season where you can throw in or, or sorry, afford to push a game a, a weekend back or whatever. Yeah. That just doesn't exist in football, does it? And that's, I suppose, one of the major uh, stumbling blocks for, for something like this. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I mean, I think the biggest difference compared to, you know, the four major American sports and the Premier League is that when guys finish playing in the NBA, you know, let's say you play the full season – so you're starting in the early fall and then you go all the way to May, but you still have the summer off and it's less that it's an Olympics. Mm. There's not really, you're done. You get that full time off. Whereas, you know, the, the Premier League starts basically in July with preseason goes until the end of May. You got a summer tournament. You might be, you're likely in two to three of those 
four-year cycles. So yeah. that's, yeah, I mean, it does kill the thing, which is why I do think, though, my pitch for it would be you just kind of roll something like this into the charity shield and you kind of turn the charity shield into like a weekend kickoff of like the English football calendar. And you could do a lot of stuff around it and like make sure that the tickets are low for kids to go see it and, you know, make it about like a family like outing. And, you know, you could have, you know, so maybe you have an all-star game in some form or you do skill challenges. Maybe you do like retired premier league, uh, like greats versus like celebrities who are fairly good. Like just do some stuff that it's like supposed to be show what this is, which is a game and have some fun with it. Mm. And it doesn't always have to be this, you know, high level, high stress, you know, millions of dollars are on the line every single game. Cause you could get relegated or you could, you know, lose mm. your, like just bring a little back back of the fun into the sport and maybe also, <laughs> yeah make fans realize that you have more in common with fans of your rival team than you don't have in common with them. And so that I don't want to find that, find out that I don't want to find that common ground whatsoever, but also you say (laughs) bring back the fun. I don't know that the fun ever existed. I mean, I think the the, the fun existed, but because just to me, it seems like sometimes I think something like this could be better of, I do think one thing American sports fans tend to have in common is that you don't get stuff where you like make fun of someone's, stadium for like not being full because and but it's like well the ticket prices are too expensive like everyone in the nfl is like no like this is absurd the ticket prices are too high and i think something Mm. like this where you do remind fans that like we all want to watch our favorite players play and like we want to go to games um but it's often too expensive for too many people particularly in the current you know cost of living crisis in the uk it's like well maybe Mm. something like this where it is low cost one more people can watch it but also to like remind people that like fans should be working together to make the sport work for the fans and not just these owners. And I think like we ever, I've referenced earlier, like Bowley has comments that to me should be far more concerning than I want to do a all-star game and I want to do a relegation playoff, which by the way, I'm a hundred percent on board with that idea. I love the idea of a relegation playoff. For what reason? Quickly. Why? So the, promotion playoff is a great game because you're like all fighting to like make it to the big show. But then imagine you have a team fighting to make it to the big show. And then you got a bunch of guys who know that their pay is about to get cut. If they don't win this game to stay up. And like, I think the level of drama in that game is just going to be phenomenal. Like I watch the Bundesliga relegation playoff every year. Likewise. And and I assume Adam does as well, but my, what if I could change European football, Sort of if straight off the bat, if I got given a, a magic wish, I'd eliminate the Bundesliga relegation playoff immediately. <laughs> Mainly because I, I wouldn't actually be against um, a mini tournament at the bottom of the Premier League because I feel as though there are a lot of bad seasons yeah. at the bottom of the Premier League. What I'd be against is a team who does well in the Championship then having to play a team in the Premier League who's had a bad season because. It, it, traditionally in Germany, what happens most of the time is the Bundesliga team prevails because the quality and the and the money, and we've right. seen it in the Premier League. You know, teams that drop out of the Premier League walk the Championship the season after because the disparities are are so clear to see. So I'm not, I, I wouldn't be interested in sort of merging the. Two I do leagues. think that's not a bad idea, Amos. I mean, I think you're right that maybe the four, you know four team because I I can't remember who the first team to survive last season was. Was it Leeds? I guess. 
Um, yeah, Leeds they, survived they say, on the final up. day. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was Everton that maybe a week or two ahead of time. Yeah, but I'm just I'm just thinking, you know, like Leeds wasn't so much better that they should have been guaranteed their spot of safety compared to mm. you know Burnley. Yeah. Like, get, do a fourteen. But, but, but what that does, though, for me, is it takes away the jeopardy of some of the regular Premier League matches. So, for instance, you know, we speak about Everton and Leeds. Let's say it's match day, you know, 31, and they're separated by a point in the table. Um, the jeopardy of that game is incredible. But if you now down the line say, well, you know, it's not just the bottom three automatically go down, it's, um, you know, the fourth worst team plays the you know 17th plays 20th mm-hmm. and 18th plays 19th it takes away the jeopardy of that match week 31 game but, because, but does it actually say, or does let's it say, let's say i see i think it i think it takes it away because if you say you know if everton win this game and they take this one point lead in the table that's a huge boost and if they survive by one point it's because they won a relegation scrap on match week 31 not because they you know, entered some tournament. Like I think they should be rewarded for finishing a point ahead of ahead of Leeds, and Leeds go down. I think it takes away that reward for winning your games in the regular season. And at what point then do you have teams resting players in the build up to the end of the season? Because say, for example, you know, you have that Everton versus Leeds for match week thirty one. That's a massive game. But if you know the gap between what would it be seventeenth and sixteenth is too big, they're not going to bridge it. You, they go that that I, I agree the jeopardy disappears, doesn't it? Because you almost have teams from the last few weeks of the season saving their best players for this relegation playoff. I don't know. It, it, it's very it's very convoluted. It's another concept. Um, I guess we'll move on to another Todd Bowley comment because this is where I feel like it could get heated, um, or at least I'm predicting it to be. One of the other claims Todd Bowley made was that this All Star game, or if we're reinventing it as a Skills Weekend or whatever it may be, could be a way to generate money for the EFL pyramid. Now, I assume most people listening to this will be aware of what the EFL pyramid is, but just in case they're not, essentially English football has four full-time professional divisions. Below that, you drop into what is known as non-league, the Vanarama National League, although that is essentially a full-time professional division as well. But it's it's this, it's this sort of centuries-old historic institution where teams go up and down via relegation. And I, I don't know, for English fans, this is just me sort of mansplaining, but but it is it is protected. Its heritage is is sort of heralded almost. Todd Bowley claimed that something like this could produce money for the EFL. Um, it seemed like this was something that people who weren't necessarily in terms in favour of the All Star Game, Adam, were turned on this a little bit. The, 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 it sort of got people going, yeah, you know what, that could be a good idea. Did you agree with that? Do you think that if it was to happen, then it had to be something that benefited the pyramid or was it a non-starter? If I had a dollar for every single time a billionaire claimed that trickle-down economics would work based on his new multi-billion dollar idea, I wouldn't need trickle-down economics because I'd also be a billionaire. So, would, you, would you be in support? Would you be supporting trickle-down economics yeah, in that case? Yeah, I probably would be, yeah. Um, no, I mean, this is just another fantasy idea that is spun to make it look like it's better for the greater good mm. and it's not it's the the clubs that already make the most money off of tv deals and advertising and kit sponsors like the big six and clubs like that um they're going to profit from this more than anybody else because they're going to have the bulk of the players in it and with their players featuring in it there's going to be you know higher ad revenue and all that kind of stuff that comes with it so no this is just to me it's classic billionaire speak saying 
this is going to generate so much money for me, which is going to be a good thing for you because you get some of my money. But that is, um, you know, centuries and centuries yeah. old that that in, in theory might sound great, but in practice it never works. So no, I, I am vehemently against this. For me, it felt a little bit like when the European, if we can rewind to that fateful night, or I suppose for you guys it would have been the afternoon, um, but but when the European Super League news was announced, at the bottom of a press release, there was this really tiny line in the smallest of fonts about how somewhere down the line they're going to introduce the same competition for women's football, and they're going to look to increase diversity, and they're going to do X, Y, and Z, almost box-ticking in a sense. And it was it was a comment, or, or sorry, in terms of the European Super League, it was a, it was on the press release as a, a sort of, you can imagine that the, the fat cat sat around the table about to press send, go, oh shit, we've not mentioned women's football, they're going to pull us up on that, you know, as if that would be the thing that uh, that turns people against it. But essentially, it felt a little bit like that from Todd Bowley in, in the sense that I'm not suggesting for a second he had to sort of present this 400-page dossier on how an all-star match would benefit the EFL and, you know, exactly going into the finances and whatnot. It it was clearly um, an off-the-cuff comment, which this entire thing we're discussing was, and it sort of throws it into perspective a little bit. But the issue for me was the idea that Todd Bowley had a real assumption and a real grasp as one month into the job. Um, You know, Andrew, you mentioned he's a, he's a, a... astute businessman but he had a real grasp as to how the the EFL was struggling and, and the teams in uh, the, the sort of the clubs in the EFL who were needing the money and and it, and it was a case of just funneling cash into the bank account of the EFL which as a, if anybody has seen the way the EFL have operated in recent years we've had clubs like Berry go out of business we had clubs like Macclesfield go out of business we've had Bolton driven towards the brink there's been a number of clubs who've been absolutely shafted by the EFL they are a, a horrifically ran organization and it was it, it was sort of blase in a sense to go you know what we'll just give the money to the EFL because that's what English football fans want yeah I mean I think the issue here is that it, I, I think Todd Bowley has some really his his instincts are good. He has some good points that he's making about there are issues, but I think he's not making things with perfect information, which you know no one ever is. But the issue here is that like trying to claim that just giving more money down the pyramid will solve the problem. Like number one, mm. if you think the Premier League is bad in terms of screwing uh, the Championship, League One, and League Two, you should look at the uh, share of money that the championship takes compared to what league one and league two get. I mean, it's worse, right? Yeah. Um, and part of it, it's everyone's yeah. getting desperate because they know the pool of money is getting smaller and smaller in the sense of, you know, the Premier league has so much money. And so to even try to stay close to them, the championship needs more money, which then takes more money. Like it just, the gaps are just only going to mm. grow. And I don't know yeah. that there's a perfect way to solve that, you know, as I sit here today, but I, I think the, does something need to be done to fix the disparity between the EFL and the Premier League? Yes. Mm. The all-star so, game is not going to be the thing that does that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Nicely put. I mean, th- there's enough money in the Premier League to to cure the EFL of any problems. There's enough money in the Premier League to cure 
football in England. There's probably enough money in in the Premier League to cure England. Well, no, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Sort of fundamentally, that 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 would be the case. But um, you know, you, you get the point. The fact that it would take an All Star game, like you say, to to make the EFL a functioning organisation or, or at least financially is is hearsay. It's absolute nonsense. Um, and finally, on that, the, the bit I found hilarious, if not alarming, at the same time, was the idea that the Premier League are going to forsake this money. You know, as you, I think it was you, Andrew, mentioned at the top. You know. Traditionally, Premier League clubs are, are are ones to to be so charitable with the finances, and and I don't know where you. I'm, I'm guessing you come in on the similar page, Adam. But if this whole, I guess what we took from this entire Todd Bowley, and it, I feel like a, a sort of a jealous ex speaking about him so much, but this it, it, it's caused shockwaves throughout English football. I think it's fair to say, but that entire that entire interview. It was just the way it was delivered, more than a case of what was in it, and I think that's where we're sort of we can we can end on the bowley rant a little bit yeah well you know he comes from owning teams in american sports leagues where to the outside world um to the outside business world they are perfect you know there is no jeopardy in those leagues it's mm. you show up every year it doesn't matter if you win zero games or if you win 100 percent of your games you collect your participation check and you move on to next year it's the perfect perfect situation from a money-making standpoint and he Along with many other, um, you know, American owners that have either spoken about um, buying English football teams or any European football teams, um, that you know, like like Robert Kraft, who's the owner of the New England Patriots, he's often asked, you know, would you ever consider taking over a Premier League club? And he said, absolutely not, because of the jeopardy of us being relegated and losing, you know, half of our revenue and blah blah mm. blah blah blah, because American sports are completely void of jeopardy and you collect your same money every single year. And, and Bowley comes from that and he comes over here and he sees the jeopardy and he's looking at this saying, we could easily change some things here and never lose any money. And we make the same money every year. It, it's only going to increase and increase and increase. There's no chance of, of any of my fat cat friends losing any money. I've got the, mm. I've got the answer to all of this, but he doesn't understand that he's not, he's walked into a situation in which he will get backlash for all of these decisions. You don't get fan backlash at just about anything in American sports. We are here in American sports. We are the absolute whipping boys of our our club owner masters. Like that is truly what it is like here. There is absolutely no fan involvement in decision making here. Whereas we've seen with the Super League, you even hint at some big mighty change that might negatively impact fans and you will have mass protests outside of stadiums Mm. you'll have insane social media reactions and and all this kind of and the media ripping these important decision makers in football to shreds and um you don't get that in american sports so i think that's where bullies kind of slipped up here is i don't think he understands the kind of storm that might come his way from bringing these ideas to the fore i I will say to, to todd's uh credit the one thing I want to say that he your, your has, buddy Todd, not my buddy Todd, <laughs> but uh, you know what, what I think he nails when he talks about you know use of media rights and talks about how far behind Premier League clubs apps are in terms of like fan access and doing stuff and content for the fan. I mean, it is insane yeah. to me the how far behind the Premier League is in terms of its digital media presence, not just teams but like the whole league, but. Compared to every other, you know, American league, like every team has a basically full-sized content production team 
that's putting out multiple exclusive videos a day. They're doing their own, you know, interviews of the players. They're writing like scouting reports in their teams. They're putting like that just it doesn't exist. You've got highlights in the app. You've got full match coverage. And I know mm. that the media landscape in England is a little different in terms of, you know, some historical um, you know, preferences slash like reasons why certain sections of the media get specific coverage. And then there's, you know, like Sky kind of built the Premier League. So the Premier League feels indebted to Sky. Mm. So Sky gets some of this exclusive stuff. But like, it feels like over the last 18 months, City's gotten better at this. Like finally, some of the inside City videos mm. are actually worth something. But like mm. for years, it was like nothing the club put out matters. And I think Todd's perspective is that's insane because the club has the most access to these players. So why aren't we doing something with it? Yeah, and and, and he did say, didn't he? Um, one of the final comments we'll, we'll, we'll pick up on is ultimately, I hope the Premier League can take a little bit of lesson from American sports. And I suppose that's something that you could look at as a positive. The, the Premier League broadcasting situation is is nonsensical to say the least from a business point of view in terms of the premier league the sky sports have the premier league by the balls essentially and it is in a clamp it is not the key has been thrown away decades ago and and it won't be reopened for decades to come sky sports essentially own the premier league which is mad when you consider sky sports only broadcast or at least you know that 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 operation only broadcasts in the united kingdom and there are all sorts of different broadcasters around the world um finally and adam before we move on and speak about another another topic on the future of football on that comment from todd bowley ultimately i hope the premier league takes a little bit of lesson from american sports if you could take one thing from american sports what would it be to sort of drop into the premier league or english football that's a funny question because I just sat here two minutes ago and was ripping the particip- participation check model of American sports. But I think the um, financial disparity, even between clubs just in the Premier League, is an issue. Mm. I mean, you, mm. I, I won't go as far as saying you know that like City have turned it into the Bundesliga or any of that kind of social media nonsense. But the fact that there is such a small amount of teams that can compete and some most teams fate is decided long before any season starts and i know people will bring up leicester and blah 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 but that's not going to happen again yeah um yeah. that is the one thing that it is and there's there's got to be a balance i'm not saying close off the leagues create a salary cap and give everybody the same split of the tv money and and it's complete parity that's not what i'm suggesting um but there is something to be said for the financial disparity in all of football from the Premier League to La Liga, La Liga to La Liga 2, all of that. There is there is something to be said for that. And that is where the U.S. has a leg up that, um, you know, any given season, somebody can win the title. And, and that can make for some more excitement and more interest from fans. Because mm. if you're a fan of Norwich, what's the point of waking up in the morning? <laughs> I don't think that's a good part to uh, to end part one. Uh, we'll take a very quick break and then we'll be back to speak about the UEFA Champions League moving away from Europe. Right, okay then, let's pick this up with uh, a- another recent plan that came out and another report, it being the fact that UEFA are exploring options to take Champions League, meaningful Champions League matches nonetheless, 
away from Europe. Now, um, Andrew, I'll start with you just straight off the bat, like we did before. What what were your thoughts surrounding this when you when you read it? Was it something that made your eyes light up as a, as an American potentially getting to see a Champions League game, or was it a case of, oh dear, we're going down a slippery slope? So, if we're talking about the final, I actually don't think this is that big of a deal. Hmm? Because okay. there have been so many finals that are absurdly difficult for fans of these teams to get to. Yeah. More so than, like, let's say that City make the Champions League final and they're playing, like, Juventus, right? Yeah. It's probably just as inconvenient for them to go to New York City for the Champions League final as teams and as the fans, as it would be to go to some of these absurd destinations that UEFA has put finals in in the past. And so if it's yeah, already yeah. going to be a neutral venue, so everyone's fans are having to travel. And we're talking about like people are likely going to be incurring large travel costs anyways. I don't see a huge difference in that. If we're talking about doing other matches where traditionally it's a home and an away, I'm I'm out on that because that's fundamentally changing like the environment that fans are in and changes the nature of the Champions League night. I think the final, I'm not convinced that it matters if it's in Kazakhstan or in like New York City. Like if it's not being played at one of the two teams' grounds, like I don't necessarily see it as this huge change. But I get nervous if we're talking about, oh, yeah, we're just going to like start putting it, putting all sorts of Champions League matches wherever, whenever, because we know we can get non-Europeans to pay tons of money. Hmm. Adam, do you have anything to say on that? Yes. Um, well, first start this. If you dig deeper into this, and I won't even call it a proposal, the the reported discussions about this, it is far, far, far from a final. It won't even be a group stage game. It would be likely, if anything like this ever happened, it would likely be replacing the UEFA Super Cup. And it would be essentially a UEFA-branded ICC tournament in the US every year. So it would be the winner of the Champions League, the runners-up, and the winner and runners-up of the Europa League play a little four-team tournament you know, in Vegas, LA, mm-hmm. and, and New York, whatever. Um, so I think that's got to be put out there at the start that Again, this is where the media spun things and made it look like a really, really, really big deal when it's not. Because if you really dig deeper into this, there's absolutely no way that Comnibal, CONCACAF, um, or FIFA themselves would allow competitive Champions League games to be played in countries where there's competitive football already being played. There's no shot that the same week that um, you know, LAFC have a game that right down the road, Borussia Dortmund are also playing Club Bruges in a knockout game or whatever. Like that, that is <laughs> never going to happen. Um, so I think that's worth pointing out. But I do kind of want to hit back at Andrew here. We expected this. We said in the group chat this may just <laughs> this might just turn into me and Andrew debating for an hour. Um, I would be against the final. I I understand what you're saying, but. You also have to think about the fact that UEFA in its you know, existence is Europe's governing body, football governing body. And yes, it, there have been destinations that are hard to get to for, let's say, you know, an English and a German team are playing in uh, 
the far, 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 far eastern reaches of Russia or whatever, um, then yeah, that's difficult to get to. But you look at last season, the game in, in Paris, and you have a Spanish team and, and an English team. The travel and the you know dealing with being European Union citizens, which obviously the English aren't anymore, but mm, yeah, um, don't part remind of, me. All of that is far easier than traveling to the U.S. and the distance, the expenses, the lodging. Um, all of that is just harder, I think. And so, so I, I completely agree with you on that. I'm not saying like, oh, I'm fully in support of it. I'm saying that in a world where UEFA will continue to give Champions League finals to cities not in Western Europe, despite the fact that, like, let's be honest, there's not going to be a Champions League finalist not coming from West. Like, it's just not going to happen with the way yeah. the finances of football work these days. I mean, it could happen, but like, I could. I'd be willing to put money like a good chunk down that in the next 10 years, we will not see a Champions League finalist, not from one of the big five leagues. Right. right. And so if we're, if we're saying, Oh, Western slash central Europe, those are the only ones that are getting it. I get that. But if we're going to allow UEFA just to put this wherever they want within UEFA, then like you start to get to where it's not actually much different between the U S now, obviously like China would be a nightmare or like Africa or South America, where you're throwing in like weather differences, you're throwing in logistical challenges. Like we're going to see the same issues we see with the World Cup of where fans get screwed in the names of right. like how much money cities are willing to bribe um, right. for to have access to this. So I think it opens up a Pandora's box. I don't want down the road, but I just think that like the real solution here is the Champions League final should probably just be in a neutral site, roughly equidistant between the two teams that make the mm. Champions League final every year. Yeah, that yeah, yeah that's that's an interesting point. I've actually made some notes when you mentioned it first of all, Andrew, the fact that UEFA are notorious for for plonking and not just Champions League, but UEFA competition finals in in far flung destinations and and genuinely sometimes war torn destinations. We're only what three years out since the Europa League final between Arsenal and Chelsea was was held in Baku, famously one of the most difficult UEFA finals for supporters to ever get to. You Weren't on, there only if, like three flights total that got yeah, you there? Well, yeah, if any at all, I think there were, there were some great features of people driving from, I don't know, Kiev or, you know, from these like far enough eastern places in Europe as it is, doing like 600 mile journeys to get to whatever. Um, but, but yeah, you spot on. If it's on, if it's on the, the, the east coast of America, um, it's much easier for fans to get to, you know, a flight from, a uh, flight from, uh, London to New York is easier than to, to Azerbaijan. And you, and also, obviously, last year it was meant to be in St. Petersburg before Russia and Putin, etc. Um, I think there was even a, a UEFA Super Cup in in Northern Ireland, which you know on the surface doesn't exactly sound like the the most far flung destination. But when you consider the fact that there is still quite a lot of um, under the surface problems in Northern Ireland, sort of dating back hundred years, yeah, genuinely like, historical issues in Northern Ireland. Again, it's another fractured destination and in UEFA chases the money so I don't think it would be that of a crazy idea if in our lifetime you said you, you don't expect to see it outside one of the top five leagues I genuinely don't think it would be that crazy 
in the next 10, 20, 30 years if we did see a Champions League final outside of Europe. In terms of the the, the sort of the wider look at it then, um, Andrew, I'll, I'll throw this one to you then because the NFL, for example, has been hosting matches outside of the US for, for a while. They seem to have been received well. I know uh, Wembley and I know the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium has hosted them in the past. I, I'm not sure, but I think MLB is doing something similar. Baseball is doing something similar. Yeah. It, it has planned it or is at least looking at doing something. Um, but but the difference for me, I feel like, if we're going to open this discussion onto not just sort of the Champions League, but but maybe even Premier League down the line, it's been it, you know it's been a topic for a long time. Premier League matches being held outside of of, of England. Where does that sort of come into this debate then? Because it, it feels as though with with the American sports, it's and shoot me down if I'm wrong, but it feels like it's somewhat necessary to grow the market because although. American football, baseball, etc., are so popular in the US. They're almost exclusive to that to that population. It's a b- bloody big population. Don't get me wrong, but it is sort of you are stuck into those markets. Whereas for football, famously, it is quite a worldwide sport, and and the Premier League is watched all over the world. It, do, does it need, do you think, to be tapping into the American market, the Middle Eastern market, the Chinese market? for it to not not necessarily be sustainable because that'd be a silly way of putting it but if it's going to continue to grow so i mean commercially if they want to continue to grow yeah the premier league needs to like they want access to those sweet sweet dollars that the american sports get because if you look at how much the american leagues generate compared to the premier league like i mean it's substantially more despite not being popular outside of the us right um, part of that is look at the cost of an NFL ticket compared to the cost of a Premier League match ticket. But the mm. thing I will say is I think the difference for me of why I don't, I wouldn't want to see Premier League matches or Champions League matches that aren't already going to be at a neutral site ever held outside of, you know, the comp- basically where they're supposed to be held currently. There's not such a thing as a home and away fan in a single American sport. Like that just doesn't exist. Like I'm a quote unquote, I'm like, I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan for lack of a better you know phrase. Right. I rarely go to Colts games and I live a cup like less than two miles from the stadium. I never go to Colts away games. Same thing for the Indiana Pacers. Like no one is following their team home and away. Very few people are going to, to every single home game. Um, unless you like have season tickets um and even those are expensive but like lots of most people just that's not how american fans like interact with their sport like the welcome to rexham episode from maybe it was last week or two weeks ago but they explain for the american audience about like these rexham fans that get onto a bus on a wednesday night (laughs) and you know drive five hours to go to a game and then they're riding five hours back like that's just not a thing Mm. partially because like sometimes your team is playing a five plane hour ride away, not a five hour <laughs> driveway in the United States. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's yeah. a totally different idea of taking game. Like Americans don't care if the game is in London. In fact, a lot of Americans love when their team is selected for the London game. Cause then they go to London for the NFL game. And like, it's a cool right, experience. Yeah. And um, you know, my law firm, we have a London office and like we had clients asking like, Hey, like, can you get us tickets to this game and whatever? Cause we're going to be over there or get our, you know, London colleagues tickets to the game. Mm. Um, so I do think that like, yeah, you want to grow the brand in the US. And I think there's a reason to do that. But um, this is just not the way to do it, in my opinion. Mm. 
Yeah, um, Adam, you you are a regular at the um, Portland Timbers. I completely forgot the name. I know they called Pittsburgh Timbers then, which I'm sure would have ended up with me having a... That wouldn't have been good for me, no. Yeah, I'd I'd have been searching for a new podcast co-host. But um, you you are a a season ticket at the Portland Timbers, and you are a a match-going football fan, like it or not, you know, you, you are. What what is the sort of the main differences? Because obviously, for, for regular listeners, will know that you you do at least pre COVID regularly get over to England for for city games, and, and you're a match going fan in that sense. But what is the sort of the main cultural differences? Obviously, Andrew there mentions the fact that home and away doesn't exist. A lot of it is spent watching on a TV, and that's the sort of the, the go to for American sports fans. Whereas in England. It is almost completely the opposite, especially in, in the lower leagues, for example. You know, it's very difficult to be, um, uh, take one of my local clubs, for example, in the in the town. I'm from Stockport County. It's very difficult to be a Stockport County fan without going to the matches because they're just not televised. And obviously that goes back to this sort of this deep, rich football pyramid and the, the institutions and the heritage. What are the main differences? And, and is there any way to bridge that gap in terms of, from a Premier League point of view, to grow it commercially without ripping away the heart and the heritage of what English football is about? I think Andrew kind of laid out the main differences. Um, But, you know, on a kind of larger scale, like American sports aren't a religion like football is in in Europe. Mm. But that also, that's due in large part to the history of you know, European clubs, you got clubs that come from political backgrounds, religious backgrounds. Um, you know, they start as, as local community teams and, and community organizations and things like mm. that. You know, you look at both, you know, City United come from churches, you know, things like that mm. where like the, the club and the team is ingrained into a local community for over a century. Um, we don't have that here. We have teams that relocate you know, um, my, mm-hmm. I grew, I am a Minnesota Vikings fan in the NFL, but I grew up in a, a split household. My dad was an Oakland Raiders fan his whole life. My mom from Minnesota is a Minnesota Vikings fan. The, the Raiders don't even play in Oakland anymore. My dad used to has seen them play in Oakland a few times. They play in Vegas now. They might play in, you know, LA in 10 years. So sports teams here aren't ingrained into the local community the way that they are in Europe, South America, or even Asia. Um, so that's the huge difference is there are a lot of people that would suffer from a team relocating to another place, but it's like, Mm. it's not really the biggest deal ever. So you don't have like Andrew, you don't have the home and away culture. And, and one of the things I love, I love about, especially English fans who travel better than a lot of European, uh, fan bases is for instance, when I'm when I'm speaking with you and there's a, a Champions League draw coming up, and it's it's not about who or City playing the Champions League this year. It's it's where am I traveling this year yeah, to follow City? Yeah. Like because you're it's automatically ingrained within you wherever they're going, I'm going. Um, mm. And yeah, we don't really have that. I, I am a match going fan of the Timbers, and there's a few away games that I can go to just based on location. You know, our, our two biggest rivals are Seattle and Vancouver three hour drive and six hour drive. That's about the best that I yeah. can get. Other than that, you're talking 10 plus hours of driving or many hours of, of on a plane. So, <clears throat> but as far as this, I know we're kind of getting, you know, to the end on time here. So I want to have my sentimentality rant here before it all winds <laughs> down. T- 
to me, just on a fully personal level, seeing these, you know, potentially having Champions League games and and, and the UEFA Super Cup playing in, in another country, I don't give a shit about that. I've never watched the UEFA Super Cup. Probably the only time I'd ever watch it is if City are in it. That's it. Um, but for me, what attracted me to becoming a City fan and just a European football fan in general was the purity of it. And I know that it's it's far less pure these days and more commercialized mm-hmm. than, you know, the 80s or the 90s or whatever. But <clears throat> growing up watching, you know, growing up going to Washington Capitals games in the NHL where every single break there's blasting music and <clears throat> excuse me, and trivia and constant giveaways on the big screen and flashing lights and it's just so corny. It's so yeah. Corny. The the least I've always said this about American sports, the absolute least important thing ever happening in an American sports stadium is the game. Everything else, the Chick-fil-A giveaways, all of that kind of nonsense, that's always the most important thing. And it just so happens that there's a game of football or a game of hockey going on alongside all yeah. of that. Whereas the first time I stepped foot into an English stadium, it was at the King Power Stadium. And I walked in and there's there's no jumbotron. There's no, you know, there might be one dude on a mic announcing the lineups and that's it. It's like you go inside the stadium, you watch the match, you sing, you go home. And that's it. Mm. And and nothing else about the match day is important but the match. Um and I just, you know, you'd get the feeling if you started playing Premier League games or Champions League games over here, there'd be the the giveaways and the, you know, all these this corny nonsense that is so totally pushed to the side in European football that would become center stage here. And I, that would break my heart to see that happen. And there's a reason I don't go when city come and play in the U S there's a reason I don't go. Cause I think it's fucking corny and I don't want to be a part of all of that nonsense. And that I, I only watch city play in another country, whether it's England or somewhere else in Europe, because that part of U S sports culture makes me want to jump off a bridge. And if you introduce that into European soccer, European football culture, it would be a death knell for me. It would just it would become another American sport and it, I would lose all interest in it. But that, like I said, is purely from a personal point of view when I was reacting to these stories coming out. All I'm taking from that is the fact that your your first game in England was at Leicester, which is I feel sorry for you that that that'd be enough to force anyone off the off the side of a bridge. Um, Andrew, we'll we'll begin to wrap up then. Um, where and it's entirely philosophical. Uh, sort of take this question as you want, but but where does football go in the next five ten years? But what 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 of what part of the game that we know we love now is going to disappear? Is anything you know? We're always fending off these threats of you know playing football on Mars or you know nineteen players on the pitch or seventeen. You know, there's all sorts of threats that we hear, and we've discussed the full podcast on them, so we're guilty as charged. But but where does football go? What what if you if you can sort of think of one major change that we might see what might it be we are headed towards some form of a super league whether that is the premier league is so financially beyond the rest of the leagues that essentially the premier league just is a super league and honestly i think we're already there Mm. um or you know the big six of england will agree to do some form of other competition like i think I mean, I don't understand why the English teams would ever want to leave the Premier League behind. I think the Premier League has done such a good job of building a brand name and 
a cultural attache in, or not attache, cache, there we go, uh, amongst football fans around the world that just like stick it out and just let these other leagues die. And you're going to get what you want, which is that you have all of the money in football anyways. Mm. Um, but ultimately, you know, someone made the comment of like, there's enough football in the Premier League already. Well, not to the people making the money, because the people that make money at this level, there's never enough money for them. And so unfortunately, all we can do is try to push back and try to preserve the parts of the game that Adam just spoke so eloquently about, regardless. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a, a, an absolutely perfect way to stop. Um, guys, it's, it's been a pleasure. Andrew, thank you very much for joining us. I've had lots of fun. I know you two have, have, have battled it out, but I think the, the referee calls it a draw. Andrew, I thanks th- for joining us. I thought we were very amicable today, I got to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We well, that's because I left we my uh, trolling comments behind. Yeah, we <laughs> we agreed on most things, which um, is not normal for Andrew and I, but I quite, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it was fun. It was really good fun. Yeah, Andrew, um, check out your Twitter. Where, where can people find you for, for similar uh, football-related rants? Uh, at Andrew Detmer on Twitter. Nice and simple. I like it. Um, Adam, we'll, we'll be back, won't we? We've got a Manchester derby coming up and hopefully doing something special for that in the week leading up to that. But um, as always, thank you for your company. It's been it's been a blast. Yes, of course. I'm going to go uh, eat the Chick-fil-A that I won at the last Timbers game now. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I remember one of the the hockey games you went to. You sent me a, a photo of um, of the scoreboard, Not, unwillingly, but out the corner of my eye, I noticed that it was a uh, it was in the McNugget minute, and um, obviously chicken chicken McNuggets. I suppose as a vegetarian, I, I completely abstain from any sort of horrible, horrible. I think we need to start uh, calling the final minute of this show every single week the McNugget minute. I think that would just be beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, well, maybe when we get a sponsor, we can afford them the rights to the final minute of the show. But yeah, um, we'll wrap up there. It's, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, if you are new around here, make sure to follow our Instagram. That's new at City Report Pod. Twitter as well, same handle at, at City Report Pod. Sorry. Um, like I said, we'll be back in the week for a Manchester Derby preview. We've got the the domestic game coming back, and it's going to be a horrible, horrible October or a good October, depending on how you view your football intake. But until next time, it's been fun. It's been engaging. It's been insightful. I've been Amos Murphy. I've been joined by Andrew Detmer and, as usual, Adam Booker. Until next time. See you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.